Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of Cathedral of Praise. And what a privilege to get to sit down with you every morning, go through scriptures, spend a little bit of time in prayer together, open up our hearts and worship. And I really want to encourage you, when we worship, stand up and worship with us. Don't just sit there on the couch. Worship is not a spectator thing. Worship is participative. So make sure you participate. Psalms 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Not might, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you you will only see it with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Those are the promises of the God who abounds in loving kindness and who abounds in faithfulness. Those are the promises of the God who loves you so much he gave his only begotten son to die for you. Those are the promises of the God who cares for you, calls you his child. Brothers and sisters, you don't need to be afraid. Faithful is he who has promised. Father, I bring to you your sons and daughters today. This plague thing, Lord, the fear that goes with it, Lord, in the name of Jesus, especially for our seniors, especially those with medical conditions, first of all, Lord, just put strength in the body of all of our seniors and put health in the body of those with medical conditions. Let kidneys be healed this morning, Lord. Father, let hearts be healed. Let high blood pressure just go down. Let this be a time, Father, when maybe the world fights with sickness, but let this be a time of great healing in the body of Christ. Let this be a time of great restoration of our bodies. Lord, you are the God who is Jehovah Rapha, the God who restores to original condition. Father, let your healing, let your healing flow into the bodies of your sons and daughters. Show people the difference, Father. Show people that you are a God of life. Glorify yourself. Honor yourself. Lord, bring attention to yourself. In the middle of this ugly thing, Lord, I ask that you bring attention to yourself, that you begin to do miracles among people and draw attention to yourself. Let people see your goodness and let people see your grace and mercy. Lord, glorify yourself. Cause the attention of this world to begin to see who you are. I thank you for it, Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, for your cleansing, Lord God, in our lives. You cleanse us. We are justified. We are sanctified, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, God, and your grace. We thank you for everything that you have done, Lord God.
share just a quick announcement with you. At the end of last week, we got some very exciting news that we would be allowed to open services at 10% capacity. Now, I know that doesn't seem like much, but that can put 800 people at main campus, about 140 at east and south, and about 70 in um, north campus. Now, in order to make this work, we have to get permission from the LGUs. We've got all those papers filed, and we're waiting to hear back. We need to make sure that there's no additional changes, so you know, please don't hold us to things because all we can do is respond to government regulations and rules. But also, we need your help. By tomorrow, by tomorrow night at, at the latest, we'll be able to make some better firm announcements. But in the meantime, we need to understand how many services that we need to have. Now, I know that many of our seniors are being told they have to stay indoors. I know that the young people are being told they have to stay at home. Uh, but at the same time, we have a lot of other people that are able to go out. Now, if we're able to meet, we already have a Friday night service, a Saturday night service, a Sunday 7.30, uh, 10, and 3. So we have five services. Now, that's not a lot compared to how many we need to get in. Now, what I'd like you to do is contact your district pastor or your campus pastor right away, okay? As soon as we finish with this, get out your phone and text them what service you plan to attend. Now, that way we can begin to see where we have overflow, where we don't have enough, and we can begin to call you back and say, could you consider this service, or do we need to add additional services? Now, please, we're only here to serve you, so you have to tell us. Would you prefer that we do a service on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then three or four on Sunday? Or would you prefer that we just do Friday night, maybe two or three on Saturday, and maybe five on Sunday? Now, we will be running shorter services because it's going to be difficult to sing with a mask on, okay? We can't, ask the, we can't ask everybody to sing in the mask. We'll kill our singers. It's very hard to inhale deeply, all right, with the mask on. So we will run a little shorter services, but we'll be back home again. We'll be back together again. So please, text right away, like right away as soon as we finish with this, this teaching, and make sure that you communicate with the pastors, make sure that you get this information into us, and then by tomorrow night at the latest, we'll begin to make some final decisions on how many services we will have, any other suggestions that you have, please, we're only here to serve you. Give us, the more information you can give us, the better it will be for us to help you. All right. Hello, COP. My name is TJ Manansala. I'm one of the choir exec and a trio volunteer of the Cotido Choir. I'm here to share to you the goodness of God. I know that the last few months has been tough, but you know what? God is a faithful God. He's a waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and light in this darkest time. Despite of the pandemic, our company granted us a no-work-with-pay policy, and on top of that, an unexpected incentive has been provided days before the lockdown. So God really is our provider. He will promise is faithful. That's why this week, we recently dedicated our new car. Galatians 6.9, let's not become weary of doing good. For a proper time, we will reap harvest if we do not give up. What we do matters, this is harvest time. Kaya COP, isuko lang po natin ang buhay natin kay Kristo dahil may pagbabago at may pag-asa. At dahil mahalaga ka sa Kanya. God bless COP. Well, we begin chapter 21 today in the book of Acts. We're still trying our, our new methodology, though I think I'll stick with my one note. It seems to have all the bugs worked out of it. We had to remember where Paul is and why he's there. 
We put this together with the backside of Romans chapter 13. We put this together with Corinthians. And we begin to see this story. Paul is closing out his ministry in Galatia and in Asia, Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul is wanting to go to Rome and pass Rome on to Spain. Now you have to remember, once you get over there into Spain, then you're getting up into England and Scotland and those areas. Paul was wanting to go into these new territories that had never yet received the gospel. He was going to stop in Rome first and then move on and start a whole new thing. And he knew he might never be coming back because this was, this was going to the ends of the Roman Empire at that point in time. Now remember, Rome had conquered all the way up through uh, England and Scotland at the time. So Paul was going way up into the, the hinterland of it all, what we would call Europe. He would have been going up into Germany. He would have been going to Spain, that whole area. And he knew he might ever come back because he was getting a little older. And so to kind of close out and wrap up in a bow his ministry in this whole area, he wanted to try to bring peace between the Jew and the Gentile churches. And he wanted to do it in the same way they had tried once before when he was there in the, the church of, of Antioch. He'd brought a beautiful offering and seen the peace that it had brought. And so he raised offerings all across Galatia, Macedonia, Achaia, Asia. And he brought this offering to help the poor in Jerusalem. And that's why they took a very secure route and very secure travel arrangements coming up because they were traveling with a lot of cash. There was no Western unions and ATM in those days. So Paul's entire purpose, and you need to understand this so that you'll understand why he cooperates with people so much here at the beginning. This is a mission of peace, trying to stop the conflict between two branches of the church the Jewish believers in Jesus, and the Gentile believers in Jesus. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Now, notice, the reception was good. Reception with joy. So there's, there's no hostility there, okay? On the following day, Paul went with us to, to James and all the elders that were present. Now, you know, this would be the small group. This would be a small group of old friends. The, these were the brothers, all right? The next day, now they're going to the leadership. So James, James, the brother of Jesus, who is now the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, and the elders. So this is the leadership of the church of Jerusalem. This is the mother church of them all. After greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles. So this is, when, when you know you're walking into a difficult situation, you do a detailed report, okay? He knows these people are skeptical. And sometimes details help people overcome their skepticism. So when you're trying to have peace, uh, remember the principle of one by one, okay? When they heard it, they glorified God. All right, so the response, Paul's happy. The response is excellent. And they said to him, you see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. Okay, so Paul thinks, first of all, great response. So I put a G-R over here, great response. But you see, brother, and they said to him, so that would include James and the elders who were present. Now, please, when you see me make these, these arrows, I don't do that in my Bible. Okay, I put verse references, so I would, I would come over here and go, verse 18 equals they. I don't, 
I don't put all these lines in my Bible. I'm doing this for you, all right? And they, James and the elders, said to him, you see, brother, now they accept him as brother, okay? So he is accepted. How many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed? Now, here is the problem. They are all zealous for the law. Now, if you're not careful, that doesn't mean anything to you. But now, wait a minute. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus did not abolish it, but Jesus fulfilled the law. And they're zealous for the law, not Jesus. Not grace. They're zealous for the law. Now, you cannot begin to comprehend what a big deal this is. This is the battle that we started reading about a couple of weeks ago now. This is the battle that began with those Judaizers from Jerusalem coming to Antioch and Galatia and causing all that trouble. These guys who were unauthorized, remember? Remember a little leaven. So one of the things I want to make a note of here is the leaven has taken the church. Now what is the leaven? Leaven is the doctrine of the Pharisees, this legalism. This leaven has taken the church. And they have been told, now they have been told, all these people who are zealous have been about the law, they have been told that you, they've been told about you. All right, so they've been told about you, and they've been told that you teach, number one, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. So we have three lies. We know that Paul never taught any of those things. But the Jewish zealous for the law believers in Jesus, they had Jesus plus the law, they had been told three lies about Paul. And so one of my questions over here would be, by, by who? Who was doing all this talking? And why were they listening? Why were they listening? What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. All right, so the leaders and James are stuck. They go, you know what, we're going to have trouble. They know the hostility. They know this fight that has been going on. And forgive me, they've lost the fight, and they know it. Let me say that again. James stood up for salvation by, by grace in Acts 15, but now they know they've lost the fight, and they're stuck. They said, what, are we, what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, so they know there's going to be a fight. A fight is inevitable. Do therefore what we tell you. Now, I want you to notice. Not God. Not the Holy Spirit. Not Jesus' teachings. 
do what we tell you. One of the saddest verses in the scripture. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you. Now, thus they will know that there is nothing in what has been told about you. Obviously, this did not work. You see, if you come on down, down here a little bit farther, you'll see that it, this, this tactic did not work. And the reason it did not work is actions do not disprove lies. Actions do not disprove lies. The reason actions don't disprove lies is most of the time people just simply think, well, he acts one way around us and another way around somebody else. But they thought, okay, if he does this, everybody will see that it's not true. But it doesn't work. As for the Gentiles who have believed, we sent a letter with our judgment. Now, yeah, with our judgment, James had signed off on that letter, that they should abstain from what was sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what was strangled, and from sexual immorality. Yes, but also salvation by grace. They'd all said that in the letter, too. We are saved by grace. The next day, then Paul took the men, and the next day purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Now, why did Paul do this? Peace. He said, all right, I I'm here to make peace. I know how to do this. I used to be a member of the Sanhedrin court. I've done this all my lives. I don't, there's nothing that I'll be violating here. There's no denial of Jesus here. There's no denial of salvation by grace here. So not a problem. I'll do this. When the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, <laughs> seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now break that down. The Jews from Asia. We are probably dealing with Ephesus. Okay probably dealing with Ephesus because that's where he had the biggest fight with the Jews and that's where the Jews got in all that trouble in that big uh, arena and that Colosseum and things. So from the Jews in Asia, seeing him in the temple, so they recognized him, okay? Now, in order to recognize him, they had to know him, okay? They had to know him. They recognized him. Now, from what we can see in Scripture, Paul didn't leave Ephesus. He taught daily in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius, and that's how the word went out in all the rest of Asia. So this is why I would say these are probably Jews from Ephesus. And they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So there are people, and you've got to be careful with this, there are people who stir people up, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people, against the law, and against this place. Again, three lies. Three lies. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Make that fourth lie. He didn't bring any Greeks into the temple. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. So they had been spying on Paul. They'd spied on Paul, and they saw Trophimus the Ephesian. How would they know Trophimus from Ephesus? Because he probably came 
These people probably came from Ephesus with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Notice the word supposed. They didn't verify their facts. They're trying to dig up a mob. One of the things you learn is that when people are stirring up a mob, when people are full of hatred, uh, they don't let facts get in the way. Okay. Then all the city was stirred up. Now remember, the city could fill into those temple courts very, very quickly. All the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. So the city begins to pour into the temple courts. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple proper. Now, remember, the temple proper is a little different from temple courts. These would be the courts. This would be temple proper. And this would actually be the temple right here. Okay, the actual temple, and the, uh, there'd be a wall across here, and the burnt offerings were here, and the brazen altar, or the, uh, the sea of brass is here. Sanhedrin court is right about here. So the city begins to fill up these areas as Paul is kicked out of this area. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. So all of the gates that would have been allowing entrance into these temple courts, they're immediately shut. And they were seeking, and as they were seeking to kill him, to kill Paul, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So the whole city, okay, not just temple courts, the whole city. At once he took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. Now what does that mean by run down to them? Remember with me, Antonius's fortress would have been right here, okay? They would have run down the stairs. This is where the military garrison was. This is where Pilate would have kept his offices and lived. They would have run down a set of stairs right into these temple courts, all right? So the stairs would be right here. So they always kept watch because they considered the temple area a flashpoint. So they built their fortress right next to it, and then they had easy access from their uh, barracks right into the temple courts. So they ran down to it. And the reason it's important that you understand ran down is because the temple's at the highest point of the city to run down. They ran out of Antonius' fortress. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Well, that's good. So something interfered. Something, something broke the emotional chaos. Then the tribute came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he inquired who he was and what he had done. So the centurion's trying to figure this out. Why is everybody trying to kill this guy? Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. So one of the things that you need to learn is that chaos hides facts. One of the things you always have to learn to do in a chaotic situation is just stop, stop everything. You will never learn facts and truth in chaos. Chaos hides the facts. He ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So they would have brought him probably out of this gate or out of here. At some point, he would have been brought from either around this way or through this way. He would have brought back over to the stairways on this side and brought up into Antonius's fortress. And when he came to the steps going up into the fortress, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. They love God so much they want to kill a man. They love God so much they want to violate one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> Fascinating. For the mob of the people were crying out, 
away with him. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Chronicles chapter 26, and you're seeing the incredible organization of King David as he lays out what we call the Davidic worship system, and as well as he lays out a lot of the administrative of the king's house and the house of God. So let's pick up in verse 20. And of the Levites, Ahijah had charge of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the dedicated gifts. Now, these are two different types of things. One comes from the tithe and the offerings and things from the people, and the other comes from dedicated gifts. Uh, we'll see these defined later on as coming from uh, the booty of battle, okay? The sons of Laden, the sons of the Gershonites, belong to Laden. The heads of the father's houses belonging to Laden, the Gershonite, Jael, the sons of Jael, Jetham, and Joel, his brother, who were in charge of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Of the Amorites, and the Izites, and the Hebonites, and the Uzalites. And Shabul, the son of Gershon, son of Moses, was chief officer in charge of the treasuries. All right? So Jehul, Shabul, the son of Gershon, the son of Moses, was the chief officer in charge of the treasuries. All right. You want to know what happened to Moses' family? All right. Here's the grandson, who is now the chief officer in charge of the treasuries. He's probably quite old by now. His brothers from Eliezer were his son Rehabiah, and his son Jeshiah, and his son Joram, and his son Zikri, and his son Shalomoth. This Shalomoth and his brothers were in charge of all the treasuries of the dedicated gifts that David the king and the heads of the father's houses and the officers of the thousands and the hundreds and commanders of the armies had dedicated. From the spoil won in battles, they dedicated gifts for the maintenance of the house of God. Now, that's a beautiful truth. How did God's house, was God's house to be maintained? From the victories that God had give, given them. From the victories God gave. Now, I, I think that's very beautiful. And some of you businessmen, in the middle of this incredible chaos right now, as God gives you great financial victories, as God gives you great victories, you should set aside something dedicated to the maintenance of the house of God. And also, because God has built your house, so now build his house. And also, Samuel the seer. Well, we need to add some more dedicated gifts here. And Samuel the seer, and Saul the son of Kish, and Abner the son of Ner, and Joab the son of Urua had dedicated all dedicated gifts were in the care of Shalomoth and his brothers. So please notice with me, these men when they went to battle, these great men, we're talking about uh, King David, we're talking about the heads of the father's houses, we're talking about the officers of thousands and hundreds, we're talking about the commanders of the army, we're talking about gifts dedicated by Samuel to maintain God's house. We're talking about gifts dedicated by King Saul and Abner and Joab. All of these gifts were put into the hands of these men to make sure that the house of God was maintained. Of the, of the Isharites, Chenaniah and his sons were appointed to the external duties for the house of Israel as officers and judges. Now notice Here's organization. These guys take care of things outside for Israel. Of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brothers, 1,700 men of ability, had oversight of Israel westward of the Jordan 
for all the work of the Lord and for the service of the king. So if Israel looks like this and the Jordan runs right down through here like this, so everything west of the Jordan going out to the sea, that was under these men. Of the Hebronites, Jerajah was the chief of the Hebronites and whatever genealogy of his father's house. In the 40th year of David's reign, search was made, and men of great ability were found at Jezer in Gilead. Men of great ability. King David appointed him and his brothers, 2,700 men of ability, heads of fathers' houses, to have oversight over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manassites for everything pertaining for the affairs of the king. So remember, on the other side of the river, that's where these guys were. Remember the designation of the lands. Chapter 27, verse 1. This is the number of the people of Israel, the heads of the fathers' houses, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and their officers, who served the king in all matters concerning the divisions that came in and went out month after month throughout the year, each division numbering 24,000. So I want you to understand. They had 12 months they had 12 divisions of military men, 24,000 each, for security. So the men did not stay in, in the, the military 12 months a year. Each one of these men, each one of these 24,000 men gave one month a year. And they had 12 groups of 24,000, each under their own commander, who provided security for Israel one month at a time. Now, forgive me, but if you go to Israel today, you will find that every man and every woman does time in military service. And even after they finish their military service until I think the age of 40, they still are part of the reserves. The entire nation is trained for war. They learned this from David. Ah. Jashubim, the son of Zabdiel, was in charge of the first division in the first month, and his, and his division were 24,000. He was a descendant of Perez and was chief among all the commanders. All right, so we have 12 commanders, like a pyramid, and this guy was number one. Well, not really. It shouldn't look like that. Oops. It should look more like this, with 12 guys and this guy is the chief, and he's also one of the 12. Dodai, the Ahathite, was in charge of the division of the second month. His division was 24,000. The third commander for the third month was Benaniah, the son of Joadiah, the chief priest. In his division were 24,000. All right. So now we have Benaniah, the son of Joadiah, the chief priest. He's also a military man. So even the, the forgive me, even the military people, E even the, the spiritual people were required to serve in the military. Now that's, that's fascinating. This is the Benaniah who was a mighty man of the 30 and was in command of the 30. Aminadab, his son, was in charge of his division. So all right, Benaniah is in charge of the division, but his son was actually the one who did the work. Benaniah would have had his responsibility for the 30, but the son served under him. Ashiel, the brother of Joab, was fourth in the fourth month, and his son Zebediah after him and his division were 24,000. The fifth commander of the fifth month was Shamhuth, the Ezraite, and his division were 24,000. 
Six for the sixth month was Era, the son of Ikesh, the Tekothite, and his division was 24,000. Seven for the seventh month was Halaz, the Pelonite of the sons of Ephraim, and his division were 24,000. Eight for eighth month was Sebechai, the Hushathite, of the Zerahites, and his division were 24,000. Ninth in the ninth month was Abiezer of Anahoth, a Benjaminite, and his divisions were 24,000. Ten for the tenth month was Maharai of Nechopath of the Zerahites, and his division 24,000. Eleventh for the eleventh month was Benaniah of Parathon of the sons of Ephraim, and his division were 24,000. Twelfth for the twelfth month was Heldai, the Nethophite of Othniel, and his division were 24,000. Over the tribes of Israel for the Reubenites, Eliezer, son of Zikri, was chief officer for the Simonites. Now these are the twelve tribes listed. The Simonites, Shephathiah, the son of Machach, for Levi, Hashabiah, the son of Kimuel, uh, for Aaron, Zadok, for Judah, Elihu, one of David's brothers, for Issachar, Omri, the son of Michael, for Zebulun, Ishma, the son of Obadiah, for Naphtali, Jeremoth, the son of Azrael, for the Ephraimites, Hoshea, the son of Azaziah, for the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joel, the son of Pedadiah, for the half-tribe of Manasseh in Gilead, Edu, the son of Zechariah, for Benjamin, Jaasiel, the son of Abner, for Dan, Azrael, the son of Jehoram, these were the leaders of the tribes of Israel. So notice, the military has its own leadership, and the tribes have their own leadership. Now this is important. David did not count those below the age of 20. For the Lord had promised to make Israel as many as the stars of the heaven. Now here you see the principle. Why a sin to count Israel? God has said, I'll make you as numerous as the stars of the heaven that you cannot count. So no one was to count. So David never did a full count except one time, and that's when all the trouble that we read about a few days ago happened. Joab, the son of Zeruai, began to count, but did not finish. Now, he did this at David's order. Yet wrath came upon Israel for this, and the number was not entered in the chronicles of David. You say, yes, it did, because no, it wasn't ever entered, because remember, he did not add two of the tribes. Over the king's treasuries, now we have the king's treasuries, was Asmavah, the son of Adil, and over the treasuries in the country, in the cities, in the villages, and in the towers with Jonathan, son of Uzziah. Now, I want you to notice, David has people over his treasuries. He has people over the temple treasuries. He has people over the king. He has people over the, the nation's treasuries. And he has people over the villages, towers, etc. David had... A, David had organize this thing in such a way so that corruption could be eliminated. He didn't have one person over all the money. He said, all right, now there's going to be a guy who's going to run my treasury, but that guy is not going to run the temple treasury, and the temple treasury is not going to run the treasury for the rest of the nation. He said, these things need to be divided out. We don't mix money. And the principle that you need to see there is don't mix money. Okay, these guys never got... David's treasuries mixed up with the temple treasuries, mixed up with the city's treasuries or a county's treasuries. Over those who did the work of the field for tilling the soil was Ezri, 
the son of Shalup. All right, so there's somebody in charge of agriculture for farming. Over the vineyards was Shemiah, the Ramathite. Over the produce of the vineyards for the wine cellars was Zabdi and Shiphtite. Okay, so the vineyards. Over the olive and sycamore trees was Shephelah of Baal Hanan, the Gedarite. And over the stores of oil was Joash. So you've got one person over production. Now notice, both of the vineyards and the oil, you've got production and then you've got product. Different people were over different parts of it. Notice the organization. Over the herds that were pastured to Sharon was Shatrai, the Sharonite. Over the herds of the valleys was Shaphat, the son of Adlai. Over the camels was Obil, the Ishmaelite. Over the donkeys was Jediah, the Merothite. Over the flocks was Jezez, the Hagrite. Now notice the distribution of labor, and these things were not mixed. All these were stewards of the king's property. So he, David said, listen, one guy will be required to produce the, olive, uh, the olives, another will be required to transfer them into olive oil. One will produce the, the grapes, another will turn it into wine and, and store the wine. One will be in charge of camels, but the guy who takes care of the camels, he's not going to take care of the donkeys. So David had complete distribution of labor. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, being a man of understanding and a scribe. That's what you need in a good counselor. He and Jehiel, the son of Hakboni, attended the king's son. So, all right, now please forgive me, but um, David did not raise his sons. Now, if you ever wonder why David had so much trouble with his sons, he didn't raise his sons. These two men, Jonathan, David's uncle, and Jael, the son of Hakmoni, attended, another translation says, raised the king's sons. Now, forgive me, but if you don't want trouble with your children, don't let Yahya raise your kids. If you don't want trouble with your children, don't let somebody else raise them. Now, I, I know in the world today it's not as much, but you know, even in my father's generation, I knew preachers who had people raise their children. Forgive me, as your pastor for 40 years, I've watched people say, you know, when my children become more interesting, I'll spend time with them. Well, I excuse me. Those first three years are important. The kids need to be around you. D don't have somebody else raise your children. It causes nothing but trouble. The greatest pains in David's life came from his sons. But you know what? If he'd spent more time with them, he wouldn't have had that problem. I taught you this in a series called Great Men of Faith with Family Train Wrecks. David was one of those. Ohithophel was the king's counselor. Ohithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. And Hushai the archite was the king's friend. I like that. There was somebody that hung around David that was just there because he was his friend. Every leader needs a friend. Now notice he doesn't have a lot of these people that he calls friends, but this guy is called his friend. Ohithophel was succeeded by Joadiah, the son of Benaiah and Abathar. Now, why was he succeeded? What happened? He left with Absalom. Okay? The son of Benaiah and Abathar. Joab was the commander of the king's army. Now, you say, Pastor, this doesn't look very spiritual today. 
But you know, some of you businessmen need to sit down and see, when it comes to organization and structure, you learn a lot reading the Bible. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.